Welcome back, Richard. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, good morning. Um, it's hot everywhere, right? That's all we have to announce today. It's hot everywhere. News reports <laughs> like 110 and higher in, in Texas and some of the... Yeah, yeah. West, yeah, it's, it's crazy hot. And it's hot and humid and uh, it's just good to be inside. Right. That's right. Air conditioning. Um, there was an article in the New York Times about what's going to give up first in all the heat. You know, is it going to be... You know, something's got to give eventually, and they're they're trying to predict what it might be. But yeah, yeah. I guess it's hot everywhere, um, not just in the Southwest where it's usually hot, yeah. but uh, through the Washington D.C. and New York City. Um, yeah. Yeah. that's about it. Other than that, we're going to talk about narcissism today. We are, as we discussed in the last podcast, um, we were talking about oppositional defiant disorder. Um, we right. said that we were going to transition and talk a little bit about narcissism. And uh, as we were putting it together, we decided that we were going to break this up into two podcasts because we're going to talk about narcissism in general, but then maybe next week talk about it more specifically in kids. Um, but but narcissism, like so many other things, antisocial and um, even autism and some of these things, they're words that are often used sort of in a very um, comfortable, uh, sometimes accusatory, sometimes, right. <laughs> um, you know, self-diagnostic way. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about what narcissism is and um, sort of hopefully demystify it just a little bit because, um, my goodness, anytime anybody, you know, talks about themselves a little bit, all of a sudden everybody says, oh, that person is narcissistic. And so uh, we need to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Narcissism is, is in the news a, a lot these days. I don't know. We get you know, different websites and um, you, you hear about living, living with a narcissist or dating a narcissist or co-parenting with a narcissist. Um, so there, there are all these articles being published. But um, as with most things, whether it's OCD or ADHD, you know, people say, oh, you have OCD. Um, people throw these terms around. But as with most such terms, um, narcissism is complex and complicated. And it's um, helpful before we talk about narcissism in children is to talk about narcissism in general. And we thought we'd do that today. And the next week we'll talk about um, narcissism in children because narcissism in children is related to oppositional defiant disorder in children. So we thought, well, it's a it's an extension of that topic that we that we discussed uh, three weeks prior. Um, I, I, that frequently, kids with oppositional and defiant behavior um, tend to be a little bit narcissistic. Many of them tend to be narcissistic. So we thought we'd sort that out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, absolutely. So the, the the word narcissism actually has some mythological. Yeah, roots, right. Right. Um, there was the uh, w was the individual narcissus um, right. who, you know, long story short, kind of falls in love with himself, uh, right. rejects all these other suitors and um, romantic advances from other people and falls in, basically falls in love with himself. And, and right. mm -hmm. you know withers away and, and dies just sitting looking at himself in a, a pool of water um, right. and and when he died a, a flower grew in that space and that flower bared his name and, and so that's where the idea of this exaggerated self-love comes from which makes us realize that this has been around for a long time i mean right. the ancient greeks 
thousand, you know, two thousand years ago, were also concerned about this idea of exaggerated or excessive self-love uh, enough that they created a character. Absolutely. So one of the things we have to differentiate, though, is the difference between narcissism from as of, as it relates to a, a personality trait versus what is considered a mental health disorder because it's right. two very different things I, I think that you know one of the things that I, I i talk about with patients or or other people when when they bring up the idea of narcissism is that you know we all when we think about you know some self-love when we think about you know sort of self-promotion and and putting yourself out there everybody could use a little bit of this you know everybody could use some self-love to to encourage you know good self-care and things like that but that's a far cry that's a very different thing from a mental health disorder that's right and that you know uh, one of the great one of the popular movies last year was maverick um the the top gun extension and you know to to get into an piece of machinery that goes 500 miles an hour and you're shooting at each other, that takes a little bit of self-confidence. Um, you know, if you're a surgeon and you crack somebody's chest open and grab his heart and start massaging it with your hands, that takes a little bit of, that takes a lot of confidence. Right. Um, and that's what we're talking about here, that there is this notion that I'm I'm pretty good at doing, I'm, I'm capable of doing this. You well, know? that you can put your life in my hands. I will take the responsibility of your life. And, right. and I think that, yeah, I think physicians or, or you know, health providers of all kinds, right. uh, even business leaders, you know, right. if, mm-hmm. if, if I'm going to start a business and I want you, your patronage, I want you to come to my business, right. I have to have some level of confidence to say that I can offer something that nobody else can offer. That's right. Right. So there now, has to be a little bit of that narcissistic tendency, that 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 self-promotion tendency there to be successful in, in most things. Right. And so when we talk about that, we talk about narcissism as a personality trait. Um, we're talking about self-involvement. We're talking about um, a sense of entitlement. It, it, it's moving towards something that might be negative. Mm-hmm. But at one end of the spectrum, and we're going to talk about narcissism on a, on a spectrum. We're talking about what might be a normal personality trait at some times in human development. Mm-hmm. That, that's what we want to talk about. That So we usually think of narcissism as a negative trait, but we also must view it as something that is normal. And we use the word normal carefully because... Um, it, it it still is excessive. Okay, when we talk about narcissism, we're moving in a different direction. So yes, it's on a spectrum, and a little bit of what we sometimes call narcissism is okay. We have to remember that if it moves too far along that spectrum, we're going to get into dangerous territory. Right. Yeah. So so could you imagine? Um the the level of confidence and in, in again maybe healthy narcissism that one would have to have to say you know here i am elect me as president of the united states <laughs> right. like, put me in charge of the safety and security of millions of people 
And um, let me be the one to be in charge and, and to guide all of these decisions that have to be made and all of these things that have to be done. Um, that requires some narcissism. And, you know, you, you think about someone like Teddy Roosevelt or, or some people, okay. many of the people who have been in that position who are able to balance this high level of self-esteem with pro-social behaviors. They, they can right. make good decisions. They can relate to other people in a healthy and, and appropriate way. Now, right. we can't say that all people who have that high level of self-esteem engage in pro-social behaviors. And that's where we start to feel, see that imbalance in, in, in the, um, in the system there. But right. when you have that good balance of, of high self-esteem with pro-social behaviors, then we're talking about some healthy narcissistic types of tendencies. Right. Yeah. You mentioned Teddy Roosevelt. I think he's a, it's a really good example of healthy narcissism. I mean, if you're talking about a spectrum. I think Teddy Roosevelt embodies that. You know, his daughter said one time that my father had to be the corpse at every funeral, the baby at every christening, and the bride at every wedding. Um, so th the entire family acknowledged that he was he was a narcissist, but he was a narcissist who did good. You know, right. he's also the person who developed our um, public parks, our, our national park system. Um, Teddy Roosevelt did a lot of good for a lot of people. Right. That's healthy narcissism, but there is also a pathological narcissism mm -hmm. that we also need to be concerned about. So healthy narcissism is that balance right. between high self-esteem and pro-social behaviors. Pathological narcissism is, is kind of what we want to talk about today, is that we want to move from, from this healthy narcissism that some people possess to this pathological narcissism. And that's where the word excessive comes in mm -hmm. excessive self-love that damages relationships. And again, we want to be careful here because when we talk about a mental health disorder, we have to talk about some kind of impairment. Right. So excessive self-love damages relationships and serves only the narcissist. Right. Teddy Roosevelt served other people. A true narcissist serves only him or herself. Right. And, and so we, we see this in, in situations where, again, you, you have that self-love and that uh, the, the damaging of relationships to the point that it really works to preserve or protect the, the individual's ego. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so many times it's a, it's a very sort of paradoxical um notion to consider, but many times a person who has narcissism actually has a very low self-esteem. Now right. their mm -hmm. sense of self-worth is right. and self-love is really high, but their self-esteem may be really um, fragile. And so they have to engage or, or they sort of perceive themselves of having to engage in these, these narcissistic tendencies that again, damage relationships all with the goal of preserving and protecting and shielding that fragile ego. Um, right. And we see this mm -hmm. in people who, you know, they become very angry and they may become very hostile anytime they're challenged. And especially if they're challenged with sufficient evidence to suggest that they are incorrect or that they, they made an error. And, mm -hmm. um, and they really have a difficult time managing it. They, they can't handle that, um, that shot to the to the to their ego because it's just right. too fragile to manage it. Yeah, I think it's probably it may be safe to say that 
many people who have narcissistic tendencies might have a fragile ego. Um, you know, it's easily damaged. In fact, some writers say that narcissism is an effort, pathological narcissism protects the ego, but in maladaptive ways, right. in dangerous and destructive ways. So when we talk about pathological narcissism, it's characterized by authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. I know best, you will do what I say. Okay. Um, envy of others, grandiosity. I'm the best. I know, you know, the famous, um, we always talk about Hitler when we talk about this stuff. Hitler once said, I know more than my generals. And there's a famous uh, scene from a video clip where he's actually, he's he's there at a map and he's got three generals around him. And he sort of pushes, pushes the hand of one of the generals away and inserts himself into it. Again, that that very dramatic display of I know more than you do, though he was never a general. So there's that sense of grandiosity. And the other thing that's going to the other recurring theme that we want to talk about over and over again, and it's especially relevant with children, is a deficit in empathy and remorse. They don't they don't care that they've hurt somebody and they don't. It's not that it's not sympathy we're talking about. It's empathy that they're unable of seeing something from anybody else's point of view. It's always their point of view that, that is, is, um, is, is apparent. They just don't think in terms of the other person. Right. So not sympathy, but empathy and remorse are the other characteristics. Right. And you said earlier that, um, that there are periods of development where yeah. this is typical and we want this to happen, you know, with really young children, with infants, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they have to be somewhat narcissistic in that, um, you know, but it's part of that developmental progression that you right. know, they're learning some of these things. And but everything, you know, to those kids, everything is about them. That's uh, right. If you take a typical infant, you know, in fact, Freud talked about it, primary narcissism, where they're only concerned about their own survival. Right. And, and rightfully and, so. Right. And so as they develop and, and build and, and that tends to go away at about the time that they develop empathy and they can start to experience and express remorse and, and mm-hmm. taking accountability for their behavior. So like so many other mental health conditions, it becomes a, a, a mental illness. If we want to use that phrase, it becomes a mental illness at a point where it is developmentally inappropriate. That's and right. it's causing an impairment in functioning of some of some kind. And so, yeah. as in the example you gave with Hitler, what we see is many times people with these tendencies, they will they will talk about how they know more than the experts in these right. different areas, that they know more than anyone else, that they have had the most experiences with things, that they have done the most things and are the best at this and at that. But yet, anytime they're they're pushed or challenged, they um, those people that they may have aligned themselves with, they completely reject and they get rid of them because oh well, it was their fault. They did it. It was you know, it wasn't my mistake. It was their mistake. It was somebody else that did it. And so you see this pattern happening with people with these pathological narcissistic traits. Right. Yeah. And and I think that um, when you talk about an infant. An infant is self-absorbed. Um, they, they, uh, one of the, they refer to it as they live in an objectless 
environment. There are no other objects in the environment. Um, they are the they are the center of the universe. They don't think in terms of others, but it's an infant. You know, birth to twelve is infancy. They don't think about others. At about age two or three, those children, those young toddlers, begin to develop empathy. Um, they they will comfort another child at two or three years old. They'll comfort a parent if they see a parent crying. They'll comfort the parent. So at about age two or three, we see the development of empathy, but we also see the beginnings of narcissism because there are two right. or three-year-olds. Toddlers are narcissistic. They tend to be very self-centered. Right. It's mine. I don't you know? You try to take something from them and they clutch it. Uh, they'll fight you for it. So toddlers are by nature narcissistic, but they are also developing em empathy. And we have to remember that either can develop through childhood. Right. So from birth to five, both of those things are vying for development. And right. a child can develop empathy or they can develop narcissism depending on the environment that they're living in. Right. And and so even in children who who develop that empathy and and seem to do well through as they progress through elementary school and middle school, as they approach adolescence, um, we see a reemergence of some of this. Absolutely. Of this, because, again, thinking about teenagers, you know, nobody has ever experienced what the teenager experiences. You know, nobody has you don't know what it's like to be me. Nobody else in the world has it as difficult as me. And so it, it again, has this tendency to turn back and onto themselves. Right. And, you know, parents often talk about, you know, he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to um, the, the, you know, a parent could sit there and tell their, their teenager over and over again about what effect his or her behavior is having on the family. And the, the teenager just says, yeah, but when can I have my phone back? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, that's all that, all that they focus on is themselves and what they want and need. That's right. Um, and that's called teenage narcissism. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have infant narcissism, toddler narcissism, teenage narcissism. It's absolutely, parents will come in and say, all she thinks about is herself. That's right. She must be a teenager because that's what teenagers do. I, I love when you say things like, um, nobody can feel this the way, nobody feels things the way I feel things, you know, well, my goodness, we all felt that when we were teenagers. Okay. But that's okay. We all have to go through those years uh, alone. So yes, when we become teenagers, we once again become very, very, very selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, you know, hours in front of the mirror, playing with our hair, redoing our makeup, what, you know, worrying about our clothes. Everything is a big deal when you're a teenager because you're so important. Okay. Yeah. It's a personal fable, you know, no, I, I'm unique in the world. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's normal. Okay. Now the important, the other thing is when we talk about true narcissism, what, a problematic, problematic narcissism, pathological narcissism, that begins to emerge around age seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, we can see it as early as the, as those ages. Sometimes it's a little bit later, but given what we were just talking about, um, that that you know, infancy, toddlerhood, and adolescence. So we have this span of time in, in, in childhood, um, right. thinking about the like elementary school years where that it should not be there. You know, right. that's when the child should have enough empathy, should have enough remorse and understanding of, of things to where we don't see the narcissistic traits mm -hmm. there. 
So if we start to see narcissistic tendencies at that time, that's when we need to start. We need to be concerned. That's right. In most elementary schools, you're not going to see a lot of narcissism. Right. You're going to see a lot of it in middle schools. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see a lot of it in, you're going to see it in daycare centers. You're going to see it in uh, middle school. You're not going to see a lot of narcissism in elementary schools. But if you do, if you see it in your own child or you see it in your students, that's when you start to get concerned because after age seven or eight, children have the cognitive capacity to make global self-evaluations by comparing themselves to others. You know, when you're four or five, you say, oh, I'm the, be- I'm the best baseball player on my team. I'm the best soccer player on my team. But about second or third grade, you say, oh, I'm not as good as those guys. And a lot of kids drop out of sports because they realize other kids are better than they are. Mm-hmm. But that cognitive ability um, emerges at around age seven or eight. So we're talking about se- second or third grade. Um, because you can now compare yourself yourselves to others. So what you want to watch for are, are these typical characteristics that we associate with narcissism. Right. But, we don't, but, but recognize that we don't make a diagnosis of narcissism. Um, and diagnosis that we, we're talking about is narcissistic personality disorder. We right. don't personality disorder diagnoses until a person is at least 18. That's right. And and it's because it's it there are normal stages of narcissism right. prior to age 18. You just don't know whether it's teenage narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder. So we wait until they're through adolescence. Right. Absolutely. And so and part of that also is because if you recognize it at in the seven, eight, nine year old, there is still time to treat that. It is far easier to address some of these behaviors and tendencies in a seven or eight year old than it is in a 27 year old um, because it has been there. You know, when they've been there so long, it's right. hard to adjust and redirect that. Um, mm-hmm. But in these earlier ages, even if you recognize it, there's still a chance that you can, you know, thwart those those tendencies towards developing some of those personality traits. Right. Yeah. So after age seven or eight, um, the things you should be looking for are a child who always has to be the center of attention, Mm -hmm. normal at age four or five. But by age seven and eight, that's one always needs to be the center of attention. Second, always needs to win. Um, Little kids, you make Candyland with a three or four year old. um, They like to win. If they need to win, if they're seven, eight, nine years old, and they have a violent temper tantrum, if they lose a game, that's a cause for concern. Or a tendency to bully others. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a weak ego. Um, these all suggest, these three things, center of attention, need to win, bullying others. These suggest that there might be a tendency to toward unhealthy narcissism. So what we see is extreme entitlement, exploiting others and being overly aggressive. Those are the sorts of signs we need to be careful um, about um, after age seven or eight. And as you say, you can you can ameliorate those things with, with interventions when children are younger, when they're four and five and six and seven and eight. Um, you can you can imagine the damage that's done if a child always has to win and the entire family gives in every time they're playing, every time it's game night, mm-hmm. only one person is allowed to win. Um, that's that's nurturing narcissism. And we need to be very careful that we don't do that. Uh, absolutely. 
And, you know, now, again, feel like I always have to like throw in the, um, you know, just because a child has some of these tendencies doesn't mean that they're developing narcissistic traits. Because, you know, there are a lot of kids who have some of these traits, but for very different reasons. And so, you know, if your kid has some of these things, don't necessarily immediately jump to, oh, my gosh, he's developing narcissism. And uh, that must be it. There's lots of other reasons for it. Um, but this is this is one important um, possibility. And, and it's you know, we, we tend to uh, the way that we see most this most often is in retrospect. So you see someone as an as an adult and, you know, they, they have some of those narcissistic personality traits. And you say, well, what was it like as a child? Uh, he always had to be the center of attention. He insisted on winning all the time. You know, that's when you you see that looking at it prospectively is more difficult because some of these tendencies could be characteristic of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's right. <clears throat> and we talked about the relationship between narcissism and oppositional defiant disorder. Right. Oppositional defiant disorder and, and narcissism are related in that both are seeking to get their needs met. Right. Okay. The difference is, is that the oppositional and defiant child um, is just struggling uh, for power and control, where the child with narcissistic tendencies is um, seeking to get this. They're they're pursuing self-love. They're pursuing their own interests at the expense of everything else. And there's no remorse that I deserve this. I am special and I deserve this. Whereas a child with oppositional defiant disorder will say, you know, I wanted this and I realized that I went a little too far. And so there's some apology, there's some remorse, there's some guilt. With with children with narcissistic tendencies, that doesn't exist. There there is no remorse. They just don't see things from another person's point of view. Whereas a child with oppositional defiant disorder will. They say, yeah, I know, I I hurt his feelings, but I wanted this. And so, um, yeah, I know that I did that. Whereas a child with narcissistic tendencies says, doesn't matter, I don't care. I don't even think about it. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. So with with children, um, children tend to be self-focused till about seven or eight until they begin to develop social skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the the important things that so empathy, sympathy, understanding, care about others, care about the classroom, care about your home. Those are the development of social skills, and that's what children who have narcissistic tendencies aren't developing. It's an inability to develop emotional and relation relational awareness with others. Uh, they just, they're so focused on themselves, they simply don't care about others. The way I put it is that other people aren't on their radar screen. Mm-hmm. They're just, there's only one person there. It's the, it's the child. Right. And, and if you think about it, you know, there are lots of things that, and, and we'll talk more about this perhaps next time, but um, there are lots of things that we do as parents that contribute to some of this. Right. You know, if you if you treat your child, inform your child, train your child to believe and understand that they are always right, that they can do no wrong, that they, mm-hmm. they never have to be held accountable for anything, any poor decisions that they make. Um, if any error that they make, it wasn't their fault. It was somebody else's fault or, you know what, they, you just didn't understand it. You just didn't, weren't given the, the things that you needed to be able to, to, to pass that or to, to accomplish that. Those are things that parents do, 
you know, with the, you know, we think, well, we're trying to preserve their self-esteem and we're trying to strengthen them and encourage them. But if we're not careful, too much of that can lead to the child forming a true belief that they can do no wrong. That's right. I think one of the one of the biggest mistakes that many parents make is this overvaluation of the child where, and you're right, I, I like the way you put that, is that you can do no, it's not your fault. If there's a problem, it's not your fault. It's the umpire. It's the referee. Right. It's your teammates. You know, if your teammates would do this, you could score more goals. Yeah. Um, it's it's the teacher's fault. She didn't explain it adequately, or she didn't give you enough time, or she should have been more understanding. Right. It's never your fault. Mm-hmm. And that's when you move toward this excessive self-love because children internalize those messages and say, well, if my parents are telling me this must be true. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, sometimes it is your fault. It's not the coat. You know, you right. can't blame everybody else. You have to take responsibility and you have to learn how to deal with those failures. Right. Uh, absolutely. So, so next time we are going to focus a little bit more specifically on um, narciss- narcissism and, and those traits sort of pathological traits in kids and teenagers. Um, because as you said earlier, it is related to some of those oppositional and defiant types of behaviors that we talked about over the last few weeks. And um, so we're going to spend some time talking about it more specifically next week as it relates to kids. Right. Yeah. And what we have to remember with children is that selfishness and empathy develop at the same time. Right. And our job as parents is to nurture one and discourage the other. Um, and and it's again one of those one of those balancing acts yeah. that that parents just have to um, have to assume and uh, and manage correctly. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.